you say? Well, good morning, church. Uh, how many of you are here for the first time as you were not here on Thursday or Friday or Saturday? You're here for the first time this week. Let me see your hands. Okay. Oh, wow. That's sad. Uh, very sad. I just have to say that. Um, thank you for making space for me. I might destroy your property and I will not be responsible. I have to apologize for standing here because of the people at the balcony. Apparently, if I'm where I'm my favorite place by now, you won't see me. So because of you, I'm here. <laughs> the reason I'm, I'm dressed all white today is uh, a few years ago, I went to Ghana, uh, speaking also at a conference like this, Passover conference, and I noticed that for everything, they were coordinated in, I don't know how it works. So on the Good Friday, everyone came all black. And uh, I, I was in a, a, a very different color. So I was the only one kind of sticking out. So I thought, okay, black is the thing, you know, because on Saturday, again, they were all black. And I thought, okay, I get it. So I wore a black suit, black shirt, black pants, black jacket, black socks, black shoes, black underwear, and I got there and everybody was in white. So I made sure from that time I will never miss it again. I'll always be in white. Now here I am in all white and look at you. Did you get the memo? You know, we're supposed to, you know, color coordinate, you know, so from now onwards, Pastor, the Resurrection Sunday service is white. Is that okay? Ma'am, I love you. you. You almost, you almost did the, the gentleman in front of you definitely got it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to, to sort that out, you know, for, for the next time we will gather as God's people. Now, I have to tell you something else. Uh, the the Makangas have looked after me so well. I'm going to struggle to leave this place. So prepare yourself for adopting me because, my goodness, I have feasted this week or weekend or last few days. Mary, Mary, uh, Mary. Mary did a dinner last night. My goodness. We are going to be rich. Because whoever marries Mary, we are. You are in Patrick, wherever you are, Patrick. Prepare yourself. Uh, Patrick is this non-existent guy that has been assigned as Mary's guy. So if you hear of Patrick, there is a Patrick somewhere. We don't know if that's going to be the name, but we're going to run with Patrick. So when you see Mary, just ask how Patrick is. Then you are in. You are in with us in terms of this whole thing. And then, I mean, she did something amazing. So there we are eating, and she has this beautiful jazz playing in the background. Who does that? I mean, this was, the atmosphere was, I mean, I was so tempted. I, I do jazz as well. So I was thinking, maybe I should reciprocate and play one of my nice jazz songs, you know. But there's no food, you know, I noticed. So I'm not going to do it. <laughs> he says, ah. <laughs> well, if I tell you the truth, when I play jazz, usually people pay. So if you want to pay, I'll do it. I, uh, you, know, you want to pay? You are on. Can I, do, I, I won't do the full song because I wasn't ready for this. Can I use this guitar uh, and that mic stand? Sample. It's just a sample. So Miri, this is for you. You and Patrick. 
So for those who don't speak Shona, um, this song is, is Psalm 121. So I won't do the full song, I'll just do half of it because I don't think you can afford it. enough thank you so much so fasten your seat belts because we're going to be talking about love that pursues stubbornly a few years ago the word stubborn was used in a twist by this uh, pastor after you might remember Kathy Trocoli she actually did an album it was released in 1982 that's kind of a giveaway of when we were teens because she did this song called stubborn love I mean it was a beautiful piece in fact her music was one of those that started going into the sort of untypical Christian music you know, contemporary gospel music. When she did this song and called the stubborn love, it was like, my goodness, what is she talking about? Because we associated the word stubborn with notorious people. And to now take that, that adjective and associate with something beautiful was so unusual. And she says stubborn love, it's your stubborn love that never lets go of me. I don't understand how you can stay perfect love embracing the worst in me. Wow. That was incredible. Uh, how I long for your stubborn love. Now, this is like the Lord speaking to us. You have to understand just as uh, being guys back then, this is what we would sing for the girls. <laughs> uh, it's my stubborn love that will never let go of you. Uh, you will definitely come to understand why I'll stay <laughs> one of these days. This passage we are looking at today is about that stubborn love. And I want to read it with you with a little bit of understanding and appreciation of what this stubborn love is about. John 21 verses 15 through 19. He saw, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And then he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said a third time, uh, so rather he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. 
you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This is spoke signifying the kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So Father, take these words today and apply them in our hearts in a way that will be life-changing for every one of us today. In your mighty and awesome name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen. So my other life, uh, people have been asking me, so what do you do? Or some people have come across that I have this little title. And uh, so part of my life, I have two disciplines. So one is theology, which you have mostly experienced this week. The other is actually leadership. So I go more in the marketplace and teach leadership. And I found that there I lead more people to the Lord than I do in church because you're all saved. Right? So I, I can't come here and try and witness to you. You already know the Lord. So we go in the marketplace really with a view to, to bring Christ in the, in the marketplace. If you look at the ministry of Christ, you will see that he actually spent most of his time in what was the equivalent of the marketplace uh, today. So, so that's pro pretty much what I spend my time doing. One of the things I do when we do leadership training is uh, psychometric tests. And there are a whole bunch of them. I mean, there are a whole myriad of them. Psychometric tests are these things where uh, a person will answer, answer a whole bunch of questions uh, according to how they perceive themselves. And then it will score you and say, ah, you are this. So one of them, which is called uh, um, Discovery Insights, is around personality. So you have a color, a predominant energy that you exert as a person. And it's been interesting watching you this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, I'll keep my secrets to myself for now. But I've seen colors all over. You know, some of you are red, some of you are, uh, are, are yellow, some of you are green, and some of you are blue. And you see it in the way you present yourself. Now, that self-awareness, unfortunately, in many instances, is based on your preference. But there's a flip side in that people then have an impact. The way you impact people might be different from the way you exert yourself or the way you perceive yourself, rather. So there's always that gap between how you think or what you think your color is and what you actually are as you encounter people. So that's what we call self-awareness. Okay, are you following? This is a, a leadership talk uh, on self-awareness. It's for free, so stay with me. <laughs> okay, so self-awareness then becomes the way that people encounter you in everyday circumstances and are able to say to you, uh, the way we experience you is mostly this color. So for example, there are people who think they are they're yellow. And yellow is this outgoing, high-energy, exuberant type of uh, people-loving personality. But when you encounter that person, they're actually red. And red is this color that uh, puts you in your place very quickly. I mean, uh, the reds don't, don't have time for, for anything. You know, they're the sort of people that come, th that when, when you walk into their office and they actually say, okay, say what you need to say and, and turn around and go away. That's really how they enc people encounter them. So when you are in that realm of not being self-aware, you have a tendency to over or underestimate yourself. This passage is about the aftermath of a person that we looked at on Thursday, if you still remember, who had a very high view of himself. And when reality really struck, and after the Lord had tried to speak to him and actually say to him, dude, 
There is a problem here. The enemy is about to sift you. And he stands there and says, uh, no, no, not me. I'm good. I'm Baptist after all. I remember being a pastor of a church years ago where someone even came to me and says, Pastor, there is nothing you can teach me. I'm a founding member. So why do you come? If there is nothing you can be taught anymore, why do you come? Since I even know all the hymns by heart. <laughs> they were founding member. Nothing more to learn. Wow. And I could give them a color. So you remember this person saying, this is Peter. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life. What? For you. <laughs> For your sake. That's red. That's red speaking. You know, they don't think they just shoot from the hip. That's Peter. Are there, are there Peters in the house tonight, this morning? <laughs> I know you're not going to put your hand. Uh, and Peter answered, this is another, another same situation. Peter answered, says, even if all of these are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. That's serious stuff, right? He gets up and claims that, no, 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 I know these, these weaklings. Uh, I'm going to fall by side. No, no, I'm not that kind. I had a young man once at a, uh, you know, in, in one of our mentorship groups. He got up one Sunday. We just asked him to introduce himself to the audience you know, that was there. Huge conference just to give him a bit of platform to be in the limelight. He gets up. You know, when you come up here, things happen. He gets up and says, my name is Herman. When it comes to Satan, I'll get him, I'll put him down, and I'll crush him, I'll squeeze him, I'll squash him. And as a young man, he hasn't come your way yet. Don't fool yourself by singing those little songs you do, you know. They haven't come to you. If you are listening on Thursday, the only reason... It's because the Lord is praying for you and stopping you from receiving a double portion. So, not long after this story, the devil visited heaven in the body of a nice 17-year-old girl. That was so beautiful. I mean, you know, there are some girls that the Lord took his time. Mary, there, there. Oh. <laughs> We're going to make money. You, you have no idea. The Lord really just have this. And him and, uh, yeah, the brother had no leg to stand on. And so the girl fell pregnant. And, uh, and when we called him to say, the girl is claiming it's, it's yours, he said no. I mean, he even came with the Bible to this meeting. And when he spoke to us, we like, yeah. I mean, the guy even, he even quoted some verses we have not even heard in the Bible. He says, I live on Job 19 verse 1. I, will, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at any woman. This cannot be my pregnancy. And we're like, ah, guys, I think we've got the wrong candidate here. He's the guy that also told us, you know, he's going to, to do stuff to Satan. Yeah, yeah. So we, we believed him. Uh, you know, the amazing thing about God is he's a God of surprises. I have to tell you that. And so this, this girl uh, called Kim carried on on her own without Herman. And Herman um, kept saying, no, I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible. Then the boy was born. <laughs> I don't know when you see babies. I usually can't see it. You know, people say, ah, this got the father's eyes or the, the mother's ears. You know, I look, I don't see it. I, I'm just that blonde, maybe. But this child, <laughs> everything 
was amen. Amen. Everything. It was like, wow, you are looking into a, a minimized mirror. I mean, this little thing looked like him in every way. So we called him. He says, Brother Amen, uh, Sister Kim has a baby. Could you come bless the baby? <laughs> he arrived and he looks at this baby and, oh. <laughs> he hasn't come your way. Stop singing your silly songs. This is the song Peter is singing here. He says, even if all are made to stumble, I will not be. Or even so, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Do you know what the prisons at that time looked like? Let me show you a picture. And this is a cleaned up one because it's now a heritage site. You can imagine if it was not cleaned. That's a long drop you're seeing there. It was filthy. So that's what he's saying. I am ready to go. Some of you need to go to Chikorubi just to visit. Just to get an idea. When you make some of the statements to see <laughs> where you're committing yourself to, to, to going. And this is how prisoners were kept. He says, I'm prepared to go to uh, that's what he's talking about. I remember the, <laughs> the, the amnesty a few years ago uh, here when uh, some prisoners were released from prison here in Zimbabwe. Uh, and I, was, I just happened to be in the country on the day when this happened because one of my friends had a relative who was being released. So I went with him to welcome the brother back to humanity. <laughs> And, uh, and we arrived there, and this guy is coming out, and we see him. And he looks very emotional as he walks out these, they're not pearly gates. I don't know what you call them when they are the opposite. But he walks out these gates. He turned around from where he was being released, that gate there, and he goes, Satani. <laughs> he says, that's the devil. That place he had just walked out of. You cannot talk about being ready to going to prison until you know what you're talking about. That's, that's what we need to process here. So, so, so this is why uh, Jesus is going out of his way. When you see in this passage, he is reaching out to Peter specifically. Because you'll see Luke 24, verse 34, he says, The Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared notice to whom? The guy that is, says, I'm ready. And then next story we hear, he rejects him, denies him th three times. Jesus goes back to that guy. I'm here. I'm here. And you see again, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, he was seen by Cephas. And then by the 12, telling us that the first port of call that Jesus made when he was resurrected in terms of his disciples, Peter. Because there's something good, by the way, about the red energy. Can I tell you that? There may be people that you don't find comfortable, but when you want to get things done, it's the reds. They get things done. They are not bad. We actually need them. We just need to manage them. <laughs> because they don't manage people well. But in terms of getting things done, they get things done. Uh, absolutely there. And then it says, after these things, Jesus shows himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself Simon Peter, mentioned first, and then the rest of them. Amazing. And then John 21, verse 3, Simon Peter then comes and says to them, I'm going fishing. So here's a brother that even after Jesus showing himself to them, showing himself to him, he's a broken man. He's a broken man. And these appearances are designed to help him come out of his brokenness. 
And when he says, I'm going fishing, you see that red color. Why? He's, the, the, the other guy says, we are going with you also. He didn't invite them, by the way. He says, I'm going fishing. I'm done. And the guy simply says, okay, we'll come with you. We'll come with you. And you know the rest of the story in chapter 21, the first couple of verses, it will tell you that they, they went out immediately, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Wow. Well done. That's an appropriate response right on cue. Like you. I told you yesterday, children are the only sign of life sometimes in church. I love you with all my heart, lungs, and kidneys. Um, because Jesus was almost playing a game with them. Oh, you want to go back to fishing? I'm going to show you who the fisherman is. Because I'm going to make the fish play hide and seek. I'm going to keep them under your boat. You can fish all you want, but I'm not going to make any fish bite. I'm just going to make the cold bite you now. Let's see who the real fisherman is. It's a song I composed. I just sang it to you. It was a rap song. Did you get it? Oh, maybe you didn't. Okay, I'll improve on it. And then, and then by the morning, they now, you know, the morning had come. So all night, fishing caught nothing, which is reminiscent of the very first encounter Jesus had with them. You remember? They'd fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus organizes that he is a repeat of that incident to help them and says, okay, uh, we had a start and then we had a false start. Now, let's have another new beginning. Oh my goodness. You, you are told you that he's not a God of first and seconds and third. I mean, as long as you need that, he's going to show up. And he says to help him, let's take him back to how we started. Wow. He starts fishing, catches nothing, and then Jesus comes. I mean, this is, this is so beautiful. He's standing by the shores. The disciples didn't recognize him. And he says in a very powerful statement, children. Vanna, do you have any food? He could have said, guys children. Very intimate term. He's not looking down on them, by the way. He's actually trying to show and reach out to them from a fatherly perspective. <laughs> I'll tell you a story. One year, I was 17, not knowing what to do with my life, frustrated in the church. I'm a pastor's kid, so I'm like one of those founding members had been taught everything knew everything. Church was now boring for me. And one time around Christmas, we went uh, with friends to a fun, you know, Christmas day. We went to church and then after church, we went to have the real fun, right? And uh, I remember it was called a Don Juan. Anybody know what it is? A Don Juan? Well, how do you know? <laughs> uh, it's, it's this heavy stuff. Uh, that, my goodness. So if you don't drink and you drink, then you're out. I mean, you, you're gone. And that's what happened. So I drank a little just to experiment with alcohol, see what it does to a man or well, as a boy, and I was knocked out totally. They took me home in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> when I arrived, my father saw me and just says, put him in his room. And they put me in my room with my shoes and everything on my bed. And that's, that's, I don't even know how I got there. In the morning, I, I didn't know where I was. And I had this scathing headache that I couldn't explain. And then my father calls me. He used to fix, fix motorbikes. You know, when he couldn't fix people in the church, you'd do motorbikes. So he was in his little garage sorting out this one motorbike. And then he called me to come help him, which we would do. And then he says, uh, my son, and I knew I was in trouble. Whenever my father says, Moana, uh, I just knew, you know, uh, I'm in trouble. And because now I remember what I'd done, I thought, okay, he's going to use spiders here. <laughs> because we, we are in the garage. And he just says, uh, 
Do you see that man over there? We had a neighbor. His, ironically, his name was Mr. Daka. That was his actually name, Daka. Uh, Dakwa, Daka, you know, rhymes. You know, Daka, Dakwa, uh, yeah. If, you do, if you're not Shona, speak to somebody who's Shona, they can help you understand what I'm trying to do. So this man, the way I would know it's a Saturday, is every Saturday his children would go somewhere doing exactly what I'd experienced, although I didn't even know about it, go fetch him from wherever he had been knocked out, because he was an alcoholic, and they would bring him back in a wheelbarrow to his house every Saturday. Because on Friday, when he received his wages, he would go drink himself to, to whatever. And so every Saturday, they would ask his friends, where did you leave him? They were like, ah, over there. Saturday, that Uber would go past our house. And my dad says to me, ah, you see Mr. Daka there? That comes in a wheelbarrow like they brought you here. That's how I learned I was brought in a wheelbarrow. He said, he started with one drink like you just did. It was not 10. It was not 20. It was one. I want you to know what you have started, you can stop now. If you don't, we will be bringing you in that wheelbarrow just like that man. Oh my goodness, that message hit home. That is what Jesus is doing here. He's not diminishing them. He's saying, Moana, children, did you? Did you succeed? Look at them, the chorus. No, no. I said the same that day, no to alcohol. And as far as I am concerned, I've never tasted Don Juan again for the rest of my life. In fact, another time I tried, it was that drink called Black Label. This time when he caught me drinking, in fact, I wasn't even drinking Black Label. What had happened is a neighbor uh, was having a party and they wanted to give me some juice and they couldn't find a glass, they cleaned out a bottle of black label and put the juice in, and then they gave me the juice. And there I was drinking the juice. True story. As I put the bottle on my mouth of juice that happened to be in black label bottle, my father, for whatever reason, shows up. The first thing I say to him, it's juice. That's the first time he, he actually hit me. I, I mean, I remember that day. To date, I hate black label. I mean, when I see people drinking black label, I want to give it to them like I received. I hate, I would not touch even the bottle of black label to date. I hate it with a passion. So, so this is what Jesus is doing. He says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Wow. How did he know? How did he know? He's God. Because he had eaten the fish under their boat all night. He now says, okay, fish, go to the right. He says, guys, cast your net there because they were waiting for them. He says, okay. We didn't want to get out of the water, but this time, because you say so, <laughs> the fish were caught, you know, and they says they caught a, a, a multitude of fish and they could not uh, pull it out. It says there, this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he had been raised from the third time. Third time. What is he doing? These are the guys when he was arrested, they took the flight away from him. You know, if, if it was you and me, if you had people that were following you, committed to you, and they did this to you, you probably say, I'm done. I'm done. But Jesus reaches out to these people and, and, and pursues them with what I want to discover today is that stubborn love that pursues without relenting. Mary? May Patrick have this love for you in Jesus' name. What does this love do? It demands, I couldn't find another word. I sat all night, I promise you, 
when I finally saw reciprocation, I'm like, what's another word for reciprocation? Reciprocation. It's only when I got here that the other word was complementary. So if this is a difficult word, it just means what you receive, you replicate, you, you show. I have no words for this one. Uh, it's, so it, does anybody have a nice, nice word for me instead of reciprocation? I, I really struggle. I only realize that might be a big word. Uh, what, what's a better word? Mutual. Demands mutuality. Mutuality. Mm -hmm. That could work. That could work. And service. Thank you. I, I'll try and use that. So, so when they had eaten breakfast, he says, Jesus says to Simon, remember from our last message on Thursday, whenever he wants to speak to him and reach to him, he calls him by his name. Remember his nickname was Peter. And if you look in all the gospel accounts, they'll either say Simon Peter or Peter Peter. But when Jesus wants to speak to the man, he will always say, Simon, in this case, son of Jonah. <laughs> so that there is no mistake about who he's talking about. Now bear in mind, there are others there. Hmm? There are other disciples there, but he singles out this red character. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Remember, he's the guy said, even if they fall away, I'm not. So Jesus says, okay, can we check now? Do you really love me like you claimed more than these guys? Now, what I want you to notice is the word Jesus uses there is agapao, which means the sacrificial kind of love, that selfless love that's unconditional, that just looks at a person and just loves them unconditionally. The first time I encountered it was with uh, uh, the, the man I just described earlier on, Mr. Daka. He was married to this lady who actually was a, a headmistress. Uh, in, in our community, so she was running one of the schools, and to just see this lady and who she was, and the man that she was married to, you actually ask yourself, how did this happen? You know, you have those relationships where you, 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 you know, when Patrick shows up, we, we, he, he better look the part, because if he doesn't, that's where it's going to end. You know, I, I don't know what it is. You find this glorious-looking, Lord-loving, well-groomed young lady that is on fire for the Lord. She will bring this guy. And we're like, ah, here's my boyfriend. We, we, we check him out and we're like, are you serious? I don't know how it happens. So Mr. Daka and his wife were like that sort of couple. I have no idea how it happened. Because, I mean, I, I don't normally say this about, the, about people, but you know some people that you just look at and you're like, yo, what was the Lord thinking here? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just, they just don't look right. It's just something about them that just doesn't look right. I mean, another time I, I went to, to, I was a student, we were taken to Dove's and, and, and Morgan Funeral Parlor to see the process of cremation. We had to do that assignment. <laughs> Yo. And then the guy who does the cremation, yeah, there was just this look about him. I mean, he just, and he didn't say much. He like, uh, we take the body, we put it in there, we light the fire. It burns after three hours, we take out the ashes, that's what you get. Like, Yo. <laughs> just like that just like that it was like this couple but Mrs. Daka when we asked people would say to him hey your husband she said what can I do he is all I have so he's, I just love him for who he is you could never see her complain about her husband that's the man the Lord gave me I'll just love him wow that was serious love that's the agapao type of love. Jesus says, do you love me this way? I want you to see how Peter responds. He says, Lord, do you know that I 
different love. I love you as a friend. Jesus says, do you love me? Mary, it's like Patrick saying, you're asking Patrick, Patrick, do you love me? He says, ah, you know, I just like you. No, do you love me? Ah, you know, like you. What is Peter doing? Self-aware. He had claimed, I'll go to prison and this and this, and then he fell. Now Jesus comes and says, do you love me in such a way that you prepare to go to prison? Peter says, Lord, I'm only here. I'm not there where I thought I was. You know what's amazing? Even when Peter says, Lord, I just love you like a friend at the moment, Jesus says, you still have a responsibility, even from where you are, to look after my sheep. Wow! What kind of love is this? That when a person even disqualifies themselves and say, I'm only here. I don't have what you want me to have. And Jesus still says, you can still do something. Wow. Wow. I, I used to teach drums. And I'd have students in our church because we didn't have drummers. So I used to, to raise them. And as soon as a person thinks they've got it, they would want to play in church. And sometimes you, you would know the scriptures come true. We say, make a joyful noise to the Lord. But I realize this, that even if a young person is still trying to figure out, they have something to offer. Because that's the only way they're going to grow, is by being given that opportunity. So, yes, you can play with professional people who are, but they all started there. That's what Jesus is teaching us here today. That you've got to start from where you are. Because he comes a second time and says to Peter, uh, Simon, uh, son of Jonah, do you? Do you? Love me how? Sacrificially, unconditionally, uh, and then he says, yes, Lord, you know. You know that I'm only still here. And Jesus says, well, if you're still only there, tend. Tend my sheep. A very intimate word for sheep that are totally dependent and lost and confused. says, you, 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 you can do that. You can still do that. And then this conversation carries on a third time. Now listen to this. Jesus then says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you? Are you saying you are only here? Are you only here? Change the question. And Peter says, he is grieved. Why? Reality is set in. Self-aware. I'm only. Look at how Jesus pursues him. Look at how Jesus pursues him until they get onto the same can I say something to somebody today? That until that has happened with some of us, we're going to overestimate even our spirituality. We're going to think the number of years we've been in church, they've been with the Lord three years. Uh, maybe, maybe I need to explain it this way. They were with the Lord daily for three years. I don't know if there's any better experience than that. So they are light years ahead in terms of their spiritual input. That did not translate them to spiritual giants. They were still here. Three years of inputs. 
one serious challenge. They're here. And so Jesus has to, to say, you know, Peter has to say, you know all things. He's saying, you're the one that says Satan has uh, desired or asked to sift us. You, you knew that. You're also the one that says you, you prayed for us. You're also the one that said, I will deny you three times. I think I can confirm that you know that I'm actually only here. Oh, that's what we call humility. Humility is not overestimating you or underestimating yourself. It's actually really, realistically talking about who you are and where you are. That's being humble. You are so humble enough to say, I'm not yet there. But I want to get there. I'm only here. So when I do those psychometric tests, because I've learned that if I give myself high scores, there's no growth. <laughs> so I force myself to say when I do a test, yeah, I think I'm a one, maybe a two. Why? Then I have all the way to grow to 10. But if I say I'm an eight, I'm going to say, I'm okay. I'm saying I'm okay. Only nine, ah, then I don't need, then I'm that founding member. So one of the things we need to do today as part of our post-resurrection reflection is to have a real estimate of where we are as God's people so that the journey of growth can begin. Unless we have that attitude that composes us, we are going to always think, I'm okay, I'm okay. And not grow to the levels that we need to get to, Lord willing. So, so my observation is that stubborn love and unrelating love of God is such that unless you have experienced it, you cannot exercise it. What is Jesus saying to, to, to Simon? I love you where you are. I embrace you where you are. Because from here, you can grow to a better person. Jesus doesn't say, ah, oh, you know, you, you should have been here. We can work with you if you're here. No, he loves him from where he is. That's why First John 4, 8 says, because, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? God is love, and everyone who loves is what? And you have to know God first. Once you know him, you can love. Outside of God, you can't do this. He who does not love does not know God, because why? He has not experienced the love of God on the basis on which we can love others. And then he says, this is the love of God which was manifest to others, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. So first, port of call, experience Christ. After Christ, then we can do this. In this, uh, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He pursued you with love and not dismissed you, and he sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, huh, notice, we also ought to love one another. That's why Jesus says, do you love me? Yeah. Look after my kind. Look after my own. Look after your brothers. Why? Your love is based on the fact that I'm also loving you. Once you know the unconditionality of my love for you, you have to have the same unconditional love for others. Do you see the picture now? So it carries on then that John 13, you remember that passage which we love? It says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved you. Now it's going to be high. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Right? Now, I don't know if you realized, 
that this awesome, amazing passage is in John 13. Why is that significant? Jesus could not have asked them to do this until he had demonstrated it. What does he do in John 13? He washes their feet. And John preempts that whole chapter and says he wanted to show them the full extent of his love. And then he washes their, their feet. After that, he then says, a new commandment I give to you. Do you see the demonstration? That's what you need to, to get here. First Corinthians 18, 1 through 4. Though I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but if not love, I've become what? A sounding brass or a clang clanging cymbal. In other words, without love, any ministry that we do is futile. Why? Ministry begins with experiencing Christ. Once we have experienced Christ, then we can. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Feed. Feed. Acts, Acts 4.32. This is amazing. Acts 4.32 says, Now the multitude of those who believe were what? Of one heart and what does that mean? <laughs> they loved each other so much. <laughs> they loved each other so much. Because you can't be one in heart and one in soul. It just translates, you've got to love one another so much. And then he says, neither did anyone say of anything they possessed was their own. Show me a church like that because I want to be a member of that church. They shared things in common. Shared things in common. It carries on to say that uh, and, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord and with great grace was upon all of them. Now look at verse 34. Nor was there anyone among them who... Other version would say there was no one amongst them who had a need. Let me say this. This is the early church. One of the hallmarks of that church was love. But that love was love in action. They eradicated poverty from their members because of that love. Wow. Look, it's there. There was no one among them that had a need. You say so. Those who possessed lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds uh, of the things. So I was looking at your boxes and I say, Pastor, I think you need to change. I don't know why you have these things, but maybe you've got your own good reasons and, I, and, and, I'm, uh, and I'm okay with that. But you're going to need to come up with bigger offering, uh, uh, you know, I was going to say bags, but do you know why? This is the real giving that makes a difference when people start selling properties take care of the things of God based on an experience of the love of God we tried this by the way at Emerald Hill a few years ago I did this text with our people and I said I want to take up a different offering it's going to happen outside because it can't happen inside and I thought wow uh, people are just going to people brought cars to our church to give to the work of the Lord and I remember even one of the cars that came the one time, everyone left and there was a car sitting in the parking lot. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, someone forgot their car. But I thought, how could they forget their car? How did they get back home? Nice car sitting there in the parking lot. I went into my office to try and make a call to say, there's a car in the parking lot. Does anybody know whose car it is? There was a note on my desk saying, uh, to the service of the Lord. I'm thinking, I serve the Lord. Yeah? So I drove that car. I don't know who gave it. It didn't matter. But I drove that car for four years. The owner probably saw it and says, it's serving the Lord. Because it was. It was. I want to do an offering like that here one day. So we make a difference. At our little church that we're part of, we challenge them to do this. 
people brought stuff we had never seen before. Uh, four or five years ago, we, we collected so much clothing. And I thought these are just things that people didn't eat. They brought new stuff, Woolworth quality stuff, to give to whoever had need. And I remember we, we, we put this in a particular room and we even started with our members to say, if you need clothes, there is a new Woolworth in there. And people found things that were amazing. My wife has this orange jacket that she wears that as a wow love. I don't know who, who gave whose boyfriend you who gave you that. And she says, No, it's Jesus. She also went in there. I'm embarrassed to go in there because uh, I might wear something and somebody says, Ah, he's looking smart in my Love that pursues you demands reciprocation and service, but love requires total surrender. I'll finish with this. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, girded yourself and walked where you wished, but now you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. What does this mean? It's a love that uh, yields to the wishes of someone else. And the Lord is saying to Peter, if you want to love me this way, the one part of this journey is you have to subscribe to, uh, to my command. You have to surrender your life totally to me so I can work with you. Here is how we love the Lord. We say from Monday to Saturday, I do my work or profession or anything. And then on Sunday, huh? on Sunday, if you notice that sometimes when you invite people, like during this Passover weekend, you say, oh, we've got some guy, guest speaker coming to us. You try to invite someone to come with you. They're like, oh, you, you, you go to church. They are surprised. Because why? Your life is not yet fully surrendered. Because if it was, it was not like they had to figure out what you are about. Now, I find when I get around, maybe having a, a title as a pastor helps, but many times I don't even have to tell people. I promise you, sometimes people will come to me in the middle of nowhere and say, you look like a pastor. I mean, I'm like, what is it? But the point is the way you carry yourself wherever you are has to be totally surrendered. Totally surrendered to him so that you can do this thing where he says he even spoke about the kind of death that you die through which God would be glorified. Now, we are looking at the tail end of his life. Tradition says, well, when Peter was now caught up in Rome during Nero's persecution, they wanted to persecute him and uh, put him to death. They actually put him on a cross because it says, you know, he'll be stretched and so forth. So tradition says he was nailed uh, on the cross upside down because he says, I'm unworthy to be nailed the same way the Lord died. Well, that's what tradition tells us. But I want to tell you, that was just the end because his entire life leading to how he died was totally surrendered to the Lord. So it's not how he ended. It's actually how he lived all the way to the end, totally sold out to Christ. So meaning it's a commitment to the program the Lord has for your life and mine. How you live every day. Now I started discovering there's a pattern that he seems to use in my life to direct where I should go. It usually happens in sessions of seven years. I was seven years at um, you know, Emerald Hill Community Church. I was seven years at Baptist College. I was seven years at University of Pretoria. I I've seen this pattern. I'm like, okay, and now I know. So I tell people, I'll be here for seven years now. <laughs> because I seem to think that's how he has used my, my span of life, you know. So you need to start to see how he is walking and, and journeying with you. Remember Mark, uh, Mark 8, 34 through 38 used to be one of my favorite preaching passages. He says, when he calls the people to himself and his disciples also says, whoever desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself, that's surrender. 
take up his cross, that sacrifice, and follow me in that service. That service. That's the calling he has on all our lives. So let's close with these thoughts. The patient and kind love of God has to be first experienced, then complemented in what we do for others. If you have not experienced the love of God, you will never be able to exercise it. But the second thing is healing and restoration requires total surrender to the program of the Lord. Peter, who is a broken man at this point, who has to say to the Lord, I'm only here. Jesus says, by the time you die, by the time you die, oh wow, your life would glorify God. We have to commit ourselves to the program that God has for us. So my conclusion, the love of God enables us to sort out our priorities and rethink our scale of values. What's important to the Lord and what will be important to us. Um, Isaac, Isaac Watt was right uh, when he says this love is so amazing. It's so divine. It demands my soul, my life, my all. I want to give us a chance to respond today to this kind of love that has pursued all of us this way. Would you close your eyes for a moment? You may be sitting here this morning. overestimating your spiritual qualities. Overestimating where you really are. Maybe this is a time for introspection for you. To actually say, Lord, you know all things. Show me where I am. Maybe that's where you need to start. I actually need to have a realistic view of where I am. There may be others here this morning who are saying, I've been journeying with the Lord. I have been in the church for so many years. I have actually experienced some of the love of God but I have not been doing the second part of loving others the same. I just have struggled in relationships. Maybe the journey has taken you from church to church, from fellowship to fellowship, trying to find a place where you be loved. But you, you cannot be loved until you discover what love is yourself first. So maybe it's an issue of relationships with others that you need to sort out. And maybe people have been trying to speak to you and tell this is the way they encounter you, the impact you have on others, but you have not heard the opportunity to reflect and, and see what that really means. Maybe it's a moment again to stop and pause for you and say, Lord, how do I love others? Maybe there's some of you that like Peter, are broken. Totally broken. You did things you shouldn't have done. And you're feeling like there's no comeback. Well, we're here to tell you there's a love that pursues you unconditionally. It's here. Don't write yourself off because he has not written you off. So today is maybe a turning point for you to recommit your life to the Lord. And say, Lord, I'll stop running away, but rather I'll run to you. I'll run to you. And lastly, there's some of you that are saying, you know, I, I've been in church, but I've not served. I've not fed your lambs. I've not tended. I have no role that I play. 
but I want to start playing a role in expressing the love of God that's in my life. And I also want you to respond in all those four categories. Whisper to the Lord in prayer today and just say, Lord, you know all things and you know where I am right now. Today, Help me to live for you, experience your love, and then to love others. Restore me if I've fallen by the wayside. Give me a realistic estimate of where I am spiritually so that I don't overestimate myself. And Lord, there may even be somebody that says, I don't even have that relationship with this God. But today, I want to give my life to him. Surrender totally to the program that he has for my life. Lord, as your people are praying and speaking to you right now, you reach out like you always do and touch each one at the point of need. Each one at the point of need so that our lives would end in a way that glorifies you. Because we have lived totally surrendered lives to the glory and honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.